Sure, we have 30 seconds to tell you that drivers who switch to Progressive could save big. But then what? Well, there is a nice piece of stock music playing behind me that a talented composer worked really hard on. So let's enjoy it. Wow, almost overshadows the saving big when you switch to Progressive part. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Any workout, any mood, any time. That's what the Peloton Tread is all about. From interval runs that motivate you to go the extra mile, power walks that work up a sweat, rolling hill hikes for you to enjoy, and full body boot camps to hit your goals. Plus thousands of workouts that go beyond the tread. Strength programs, core classes, yoga, Pilates, and even boxing. Everything you need on and off the Peloton Tread. Experience it all for yourself with a 30-day home trial. Learn more at OnePeloton.com. good <laughs> a little bit tired huh <laughs> yeah the dog woke me up at 2 45 so whoa whoa that's pretty tough. early yeah yikes. yikes he was he he vomited so he got sick <laughs> what type of dog do you have a labradoodle labradoodle nice i have a, a great dane he doesn't wake me up that early but you know wow that's a big one it's a 130 like pound it. dog yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's a big one. That's a big dog. Well, where yeah. are you, where are you located? I'm outside of Sacramento about 30 minutes. Okay. Okay. Have you always lived there? No, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay area. How far away is that from Sacramento? Uh, depends on traffic, no traffic an oh, hour man. and 45 minutes. <laughs> wow. What's California like right now for you? Um, it's getting better. So it's, uh, you know, it was closed down for a while, but yeah. things are opening back up. So I feel like hopefully we return to normalcy fairly soon. Yeah, that'll be nice, right? Very nice, <laughs> especially with three kids. Oh my gosh. Oh my. So, okay. Okay. Has there been the, you've been at home with the kids, right? And yeah, I have only one child and that's tough. So <laughs> yeah. It has been like the craziest year. I know probably everyone says that, but it has been, uh, I feel like challenging isn't even the right word, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what, what do you do about that? I mean, it's just like, it's been crazy for everybody on some level, you know? Yeah, I think it's a, like a major struggle with your mental health, you know? You're like, I'm 24 seven with these kids. Luckily my older two just went back to school recently, so. Right. We have a little break, but our youngest is home all the time. So I, um, yeah, I definitely have had to have some alone time. So when my husband comes <laughs> home from work, I'm like, I need to go for a walk and have some time for my head. <laughs> You're like, mama's out of here. We're done. Yeah. <laughs> Off duty. <laughs> Off duty. Speaking yeah. of duty, you're a former police officer. Is that, am I correct about that? Yes. Wow. I so how did you get into that line of work initially? Well, I went to college at Penn State and studied administration of justice. That's so. crazy. My wife went to Penn State. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Awesome. I, fi yeah. I find a lot of people that do, even here yeah. in California. But um, I, after college, I like had no idea what I wanted to do. It's like, I'm 21 years old. Like, how am I supposed to know what I want to do for the rest of my life? So I came back to California after I graduated and thought, okay, I guess I'll start in law enforcement somewhere. So I decided to apply to become a police officer and went to the police academy. I got hired on with an agency in the San Francisco Bay area. And um, that's kind of how things got started. So what was that like? Just 
becoming a police officer? What was it difficult to become a police officer? I don't know, like how you actually enter into that, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, I think it's fairly challenging. You have to be in fairly decent uh, physical shape in order to complete, you know, the physical challenges at the police academy and to pass all the tests. Um, and then there's a lot of academic study in the police academy as well. And when you get released um, or when you go from the police academy to your agency and you start with a field training officer, you're like so new, like you're brand new. You're like, oh my gosh. And um, you learn a lot. It's six months generally like field training and you learn a lot, but when you're cut loose and by yourself after six months, like I remember I was like, um, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I was like, I can't believe they cut you loose so early. Um, so you have a lot of help. That's the good thing uh, in the beginning. And I was a fairly quick learner. So I, you know, picked up on things, but there's just, you have to wear so many hats and you know how you have to know how to do so many different things. So I would say it's a challenge. It's a challenging job. Is that something you didn't anticipate the amount of kind of diversity in the job? that you had to deal with? Yeah, I think I was young when I, you know, decided to become a police officer. I was uh, 23, I think, when I started the police academy. And I was just, you know, I, I had no idea all of the things that it encompassed. So um, yeah, initially, like when I was in college, I wanted to, to be in the FBI. But I decided not to start that route because I didn't want to be like hopping everywhere and not, I wanted to stay in one place. So um, I did, yeah, I did not realize all of the things that um, you have to do. I mean, you have to, you know, know how to handle a car accident and take a report on that. And then you have <clears throat> coroner's cases, which are not very fun. And, you know, there's so many, you know, a lot of domestic, a lot of drug use. So there's, it's a lot. So what were your ideas about the police force before you got in? And what were your ideas once you were in? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, it sounds silly and I know a lot of people say it, but when I first started, I really wanted a job where I could make a difference and help people. So that's really what I wanted to do going in. I just did not realize how many hats a police officer has to wear and you have to be prepared for so many different situations. Um, you know, you learn a lot while you're in there. And I was a pretty proactive police officer. I wasn't just sitting back waiting for calls. So, um, you know, I was very into like getting stolen vehicles and drugs and, and weapons and things like that and taking care of my beat, the area that I worked. And so um, I was very busy. I stayed very busy, but it was yeah, definitely. You're always learning something. So I don't think you can know everything. Even I, my first agency, I was there for six years and I'm, I'm sure I could have still learned more there. Wow. Now, beyond the, the different job, you know, the different kind of things you were doing, what else surprised you about being in the police force? Um, that's a good question. So my first agency, I felt it was a little bit smaller than my second agency. And I felt it was, you know, fairly well represented with diversity could have been better. Um, but I felt very supported by my peers. So that, you know, the camaraderie that surprised me, I didn't realize how close, um, you know, you are in a police department. I think that surprised me a lot. Um, and then, you know, the city that I worked in, we had a bit of a gang problem. And, you know, some of those issues surprised me as well, because when you're when you're looking at some of the cities in the San Francisco Bay Area, they're they're fairly nice. And I don't think I think unless you work in law enforcement, you don't see all of the problems that exist in the city. So, yeah, I would imagine. So, I mean, you're only getting so much information, right. About what's happening. Yeah. Unless you're on the beat, right. About it. And you're seeing it. Yeah. You definitely, when you're involved in, in things and you work in an area of town, you become very familiar. It's important though. I think that's what was lacking is, and, and may still be lacking in police work is I think there needs to be more community involvement because 
people are just not fans of the police. And you learn that pretty early on, you know, when you're working. And and what is so terrible about it is that like, we need community police officers need that. Um, They need the eyes and the ears, but you know, when you don't have a good relationship, when there's bad apples, so to speak, or there's, you know, some bad cops, it makes a bad name for everybody, even the good ones. And that's what I think that was a challenge for me because, you know, I read the news now and, and see what's going on. And, and what I struggle with is, um, you know, the, the people in law enforcement that are making choices to, um, excessive use of force, for example, or discrimination, those people have to go, you know, when they initially see those problems. And I, in my experience um, in law enforcement, I feel like that closeness that you have in a police agency, you stay very loyal. And so people can turn a blind eye to something that can then later become a problem. So I think there just needs to be a lot more transparency so that the community can build that trust with law enforcement. What do you think that, um, what's been the disconnect between the police and the community uh, from your point of view when you were in that you're like, man, this is the problem or one of some of the problems why there is such a disconnect? I think, you know, when, when you're a police officer, you're doing things like stopping vehicles for speeding and giving tickets you're taking people to jail these aren't positive things right and and then when you show up to a domestic violence situation you know the victim is very happy that you're there but the suspect is not happy that you're there because you might be making an arrest and so most of the time i feel like people aren't very fond of the police And I think a lot of things, um, at least when I was working, like I tried to be very respectful. You know, there comes a point where, you know, obviously you have to be in control of the situation, but I feel like respect goes a long way. And I remember um, a call or a, a stop that I had, it was a suspected gang member and I was very respectful of him. I think a month later, um, he got into, there was a pursuit in the city uh, with another officer and he ended up crashing his car and they found um, a gun on him. And I remember the officer telling me later that he asked about me on the call. And so like leaving those positives, I think is really important. I think there needs to be respect. You know, it's, it's one of those things that I feel like is really important. Couple questions. <laughs> like, okay. actually, my wife and I were talking about the police the other day, and some it was some research about it and about um, female police officers and how I think there was this one. It was from the point of view of this lady was saying that there needs to be more female police officers because um, that female police officers potentially handle situations better potentially than males sometimes there's maybe a di- I don't know I don't know what she was saying about it and I was like that's an interesting point of view you feel like with male police officers sometimes there's too much aggression with suspects mm. and maybe that a different person may deal with it differently no? yeah I, I do think that people handle things differently I know the way that I approached um, situations was to use my voice to de-escalate a situation. I'm not a big person. So I don't have the, like, I'm, I don't want to get into a hands-on confrontation with somebody that's six feet two. So like de-escalating, keeping a distance, that was kind of how I did things. Whereas male officers, not all of them, um, but some of them, they weren't afraid to go hands-on. So if someone, you know, Pat was threatening them or something like that, you know, maybe they would take them into a certain position. So it, I do think it's different. And I think that there, there absolutely needs to be more females in law enforcement. Like I'm a big believer in that for sure. Do you think that potential suspects or whatever, that they have a different point of view about female police officers and males, like positive or negative from your point of view? Oh, yes. I have been, in my experience, I've talked to um, someone on a call, for example, and they will not look at me and talk to like my cover officer, who's a male. 
So, but not everybody, you know, like I, I, I definitely don't think everyone is like that, but I've definitely um, been underestimated because I'm a female and I've felt that for sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's pretty fascinating that you say that. I just wonder kind of the, the gender difference and how that may make a difference in the perception of law enforcement. So would you say that law, the, the feeling about law enforcement is better or worse from when you started to now, when your observations of it? I think it's worse. Tell me, what do you, what do you, why? And what's that? What do you think? I mean, like, I'm not, I haven't been in law enforcement sure. for a while, for eight years. So, um, but I can honestly say that I'm happy I'm not. I just feel like, um, I know from, I, you know, I, I see things that go on in the Bay Area where I used to work and there seems to be more shootings and a lot more um, things happening with the police and, and the media coverage. And it doesn't seem all very positive. So I think that things are much more dangerous for the police. And I just think that, um, I, I honestly think the transparency is good. So the cameras and all of yeah. that, I think are really important. And I think it's a good piece, but I do think there's a lot of things that still need to change. So um, I think from my perception is I'm glad I'm not in it because I feel like there's a lot more violence. There's a lot more, um, like hands-on, um, things going on than when I was in law enforcement. What do you think you said some things need to change? Like, what are those things specifically? So I don't have all the answers, but I have my beliefs. Um, I think the cameras are good, but I think that, you know, Police officers are expected to make decisions in a split second. Sometimes they, you know, have to, like I said, wear so many hats. There's so many potential calls that they could run in a day. And I feel like there could be more um, like mental health workers working with the police department. I just feel like there needs to be more collaboration because yeah. I don't, I don't think you can expect a police officer to handle that much. I just feel like there's not enough training that goes along with being a police officer to handle some of these like mental health calls, for example, um, the drug use, those are, those are, there's a lot of calls for drug use. So giving more options to those people with addiction would be good um, because all, all the police are doing are arresting them. And then yeah. next week they're arresting them again. And then uh. they're arresting and so I just feel like there needs to be, um, I feel like things aren't working the way that they're, they're going right now. So um, some of the police chiefs and such need to start thinking outside the box more. Hmm. I mean, the current system that's done is, is it basically the same as it's always been pretty much? Has there been a big reform ever in policing? I mean, I haven't seen one that I, yeah, that I've I, <laughs> I thought you might know. I was like, oh, I haven't, I don't know either, but yeah, I haven't, but it's just, it's frustrating to see like the same thing happen over yeah. and over without change. I think that's, what's frustrating. I mean, what would be the biggest change that you think would like cause a huge amount of positivity with the relationship between the community and the police? Um, well, I don't know what they could implement per se to make that happen, but I think if you saw the community and the police more involved mm -hmm. and um, accepting and respectful of each other, that would be a good start. So how we mm -hmm. get there, I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, it seems like an adversarial relationship in many ways. Um, at least that's the projection of it, of what a lot of people see. That's why I wanted to talk to you because, I mean, <laughs> on the inside, is it the same as what's being projected on the outside by the media and different things? I, I don't know. Yeah. You know, it's. Yeah. Well, there's, you know, in my experience, there's a lot of good police officers. Yeah. But there's a lot of not good police officers, too, that I feel, like I said, like they're they have connections or someone turns a blind eye to something like, oh, that's no big deal. And you know, and it can even start with just being very disrespectful on a call and then like escalate into something more down the line. 
And so more training, um, more accountability. I think those are all really important. So, yeah, you would think that'd be more, like you said, mental health aspect. Like why are the police responding to calls that really, honestly, they can't do anything about, like they're just there as a presence. It sounds like, you know, Yeah. I mean, I know for my two agencies did things really different with like 5150 type calls. What's Um, that? What's 5150? Which which is like being a danger to yourself or others. So you can place them on a 72 hour hold if, if somebody meets that criteria. In my first agency, you would call the fire department out if they met the criteria and the fire department would transport them to the hospital. In my second agency, you would put them in handcuffs in the back of the police car and take them to the hospital. And I just felt like if they maybe were having a mental health crisis, they you know, had made some statements saying they might harm themselves. I'm not sure why it was necessary to put them in handcuffs and put them in the back of the police car if they're not causing any problems, they're not being aggressive. Um, yeah, so those two agencies did things very, very differently, but it would really benefit the police departments to bring on a mental health specialist on every shift so that they could respond in addition to police officers. I think, I mean, that sounds like a great idea. I mean, why is it not being done? That's the million dollar question. (laughs) I mean, is it a budgetary thing? Is it like, you know, I mean. I don't know, but I think if you asked the communities, they would want that. I, yeah. I mean, I, I would want that. So I, I'm not sure why it's not happen, happening, um, but you know, we can all have hope and hope for, hope for change, so. What do, you, what do you think about, I mean, I'm sure this is a fairly controversial question about it, but uh, I think it's good to talk about things like um, communities who have basically have less funding for the police. I mean, I feel like that would descend into like more chaos, honestly. Like, but what are your, what are you seeing with that? Uh, and people that, or communities that go down that route? Um, well, I don't know like what I see per se, but what I feel mm-hmm. is I feel that police are necessary. I don't believe that we should just say there's no police um, because I don't want to see communities, um, you know, without the the law and order and the justice and that sort of thing. Um, So I think it's important. But like I said, I think it's important to bring other um, elements in with the police as well. So, uh, you know, I wish I had more answers, but all I can really do is, you know, sit from the sideline and hope that there's going to be changes. Sure. Now, how long were you in the police force total? Um, Almost seven years total. So what was your exit like? Like, what was the, did you just feel like it was time to be done or what was that like? So my first agency, when I stopped working, I was there six years and I had, I was, pregnant with my second child. So I wanted to take a break. And so that's when I left law enforcement and then realized shortly thereafter that I missed having a purpose and working. And so that's when I applied at my second agency and I worked there for eight months before I was terminated. So Hmm. I didn't leave because I wanted to, I left because I had to. (laughs) I mean, is that something you talk about to other people or is it just kind of like, Hey, I don't talk about that. You know, I do now. So when, you know, when it first happened, I didn't speak about it because I ended up um, suing the agency. And since it was going to go through litigation, I decided to, to take the advice of my lawyer and stay quiet. One of my regrets that I have. So once my case finally ended, you know, seven years later is when I decided to write a book and share my story. So I do talk about it now because what happened um, seemed very unfair and I didn't get justice. And so um, it's not something that I'm ashamed of anymore. Right. I, I just think it's important for people to understand. So well, take us through it a little bit. What was the, were the details of the termination and the injustice related to it? So I was um, working at an agency outside of Sacramento. I was there for eight months before I was terminated. And 
I think about three months in, I started dating um, another officer and I separated from my husband. Uh, and I think a few months after that, um, the person I was dating, his ex had sent a letter to the police chief saying that we were doing things inappropriate on duty. So an investigation ensued and um, I was given two violations of policy, uh, which I disagreed with, and they had no proof of anything inappropriate happening on duty. Um, I remember getting pulled into the captain's office and it said that my um, relationship with a married coworker wouldn't be tolerated. And they had no idea of our marital status or anything like that because it wasn't asked in the interviews. And I said, I don't agree with this. So, um, you know, are you forcing me to sign it? Because if you are, I will sign it. But if not, I will not because I don't agree with it. And so he said, no, you don't have to sign it. So I didn't sign it. I met with the chief of police, um, I think a week or so later. And um, I, I remember I talked for about 30 minutes and told them why I didn't violate these policies and how there was no evidence that I did. And um, he handed me a, or a termination a letter after that, that I was being released from probation. So I was on a probationary period for 12 months. Um, the male officer kept his job. He wasn't on probation. Mm -hmm. And I felt like it was a very unfair situation because if I had done something so awful, I felt like we should have both been terminated, not just me. And so um, when I initially asked the chief why I was terminated, he said, I don't have to give you that information. And so I said, okay. Hmm. And um, later in the depositions, um, the chief provided three reasons for my termination, which I felt were all just totally bogus. Yeah. So um, I just felt like they were making things up after the fact to justify why they terminated me. And um, I really believed that I had a right to privacy in my personal life. Nothing was ever proven that anything inappropriate happened while I was working on duty. And so I felt like, how can they tell me what I can or can't do or who I can or can't see while I am not working? So that was, um, you know, that was a big part of it. So why were yeah. they so worked up about you seeing another cop? Like, I think what they did not like was initially what really bothered the captain who was, I don't know how long he was, 25 plus years in white male. Like he was like, there's no way a 30 year old female officers coming into my office and not going to sign something that I give her. That's how I feel about it. Um, and, you know, later in depositions, there were other, there were other females, um, you know, one in particular, I remember saying like, you don't cross him. Like, that's just not something you do. Like he was just known to a few people to not be fans of women in law enforcement. So I think when I first stood up for myself is when they were like, she's got to go, you know, this is, <laughs> she's going to be a problem because she actually stands up for herself. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow. I mean, yeah. do you, I know you don't know because I mean, you haven't worked in all these different police, you know, precincts and stuff, but like, do you feel like there's kind of that old guard of the police, kind of this kind of stereotypical police chief and kind of this dinosaur mentality? And do you think that is going to change as time progresses? You're going to get more progressive younger police chiefs. I don't even know if that's a thing, if you can become a police chief when you're young or not. I have no clue. Yeah. Do you see that changing over time? I do see it changing. I hope it changes. Um, you know, I feel like we need that change. It's really important. Like the chief is the ultimate decision maker. So yeah. even the, the chief was new uh, when, when this all happened, but it falls on him because he's the ultimate decision maker. So even though I think that there were um, other people persuading him and involved, he has to, to take that responsibility and that accountability. But to answer your question, yes, I am very excited for the day when I see that the police chiefs have, they're no longer, you know, 30 year plus white men 
And those are our police chiefs. Yes. I'm very excited for that time where we can start having people who are more open to diversity and inclusion and accepting people for who they are. So. I mean, wouldn't you think like, let's say, I mean, Sacramento, San Francisco, LA, whatever it is, wouldn't you think you'd want to have a more diverse law enforcement uh, force, you know, maybe that citizens are seeing people that look like themselves actually as police versus people who don't look anything like them. They have no background like them, things like that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important. You know, I really think it's important. And I know when I um, started at the second agency, I think they hired around five people at the same time as myself. And I was the only woman. And what really has always got me with that is that when I went to the physical agility um, component of the test before I was hired, I saw many women but I was the only one hired. And so in my mind, I was like, I knew I'm like, okay, they have five spots. There's only one that's going to a woman. Like I already knew it. And I shouldn't even think that way, but I do. And because of what I've seen, and I feel like it should be, you know, if five women were the most qualified for the job, we should have gotten the job. All five women should have gotten the jobs. And, and like, in the second agency that I was at, it was pathetic, the number of women. I think it was around 126 or 27 sworn and only I around six were women. Oh yeah. I mean, it was absolutely ridiculous. So it's not a good representation. And so you're you- saying it's not that women aren't trying to be in the police force. There's actually a good population of women who want to be, they're just not given the chance. Yes. Yes. And I wouldn't, I still don't think it would be 50, 50. Yeah. Um, there, there weren't that many, but I, I, you know, I believe there were probably at least 10, maybe 15 women there. So I know that there were other women that applied for the job. So that's what I was thinking. Like, oh, maybe the, I was going to say like, well, what can you do to get more women who want to be in the police force? But, and, and that's probably still very valid, but sounds like women want to be in the police force. It's just, who was the decision maker for these yeah. things, you know? Yep. Yeah. And the, does the police chief make that decision? Is that who, like, who makes the decision to be sworn in for all that? He makes the final decision, but he's not in like the selection process initially. So there's usually a panel interview with three people and they rate, they rank you and then you move on to like a captain's interview. So he's uh he doesn't select in the beginning. Who, who's on the panel generally? The panel is generally um, at least one person from the agency where you're mm-hmm. looking to get hired. And then usually someone from HR and then usually someone from another agency, like a lieutenant mm-hmm. or a captain from a neighboring agency. I mean, do you think that's, do you think that's well done or that should that change? Like who's on the panel? Uh, no, I, well, this is what happened at my last agency. Mm -hmm. I know some bigger departments do it differently. They have a civilian in there and I think that's good. And I think that's, I like that idea. Yeah. I think that's important because, um, I know from where we are, all of the captains, lieutenants, um, they know each other at the surrounding agencies. So it's not like, okay, they're putting him on a panel for usually all men on the panel too. Um, you know, they're not putting, they know each other. So it's like, they're not putting some random person that doesn't know anybody and can give like a, you know, just really listen and take in the information. So yeah, I think the way they do the interviews should be different too. Yeah. I, I would think like you would want some civilian people on there too. I mean, if you want to include the community more, yes, it seems like one option for that. Yes, I think it would be good. I, I do think some of the bigger agencies do that. Um, so that's important. It would be nice for there to be a standard. So um, more agencies do do that. I have to ask you about this. This, I mean, maybe this sounds like kind of like funny, but like, what is this whole thing like of like citizens arrests? Like I remember growing up, I'm like, what? How does that even like occur? Like, it sounds like something I saw in Police Academy, the movie. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Like, what's the, what's the idea behind that? Yeah. 
it doesn't happen that often, but like if a crime occurs, not in the police officer's presence, but in a citizen's presence, like a misdemeanor crime, then that person can do a citizen's arrest. But I don't even remember it ever happening in the whole time I was <laughs> yeah. in law enforcement. So <laughs> who takes that seriously? Like, and, and like, I don't know. It's yeah, like, maybe it happens in bigger agencies. I don't know. But. I'm arresting you. Are you a cop? No, it's a citizen's <laughs> arrest. They're gonna be like, anyways. Yeah. <laughs> carry on. I don't know. I'm like, I don't like who came up with that. I like idea. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. And just because we've done things a certain way, this is how I feel um, for like so long. Doesn't mean it should always be that way. That's yeah. I, I feel like we're evolving and like times should change. You know, it doesn't mean just because we've always done it that way that we have to continue to do it this way. Do you think that like the body cam stuff is like one of the bigger technological advancements for police over the years? Oh, and is there other technology jumps that you think would make policing better? I do think the body cameras are a big advancement. I don't know. Um, I did not have a body camera when I was working, so I can't speak to exactly how they work. I know they were just starting them at my first agency when I left and you could turn it on or off yourself. Um, I know they put GPS on the cars. That was good for safety. So if you didn't answer your radio, um, they could track your speed to see yeah. how fast you're going, all of that. Um, I think it's good for accountability. And, um, you know, I think a lot of these changes are positive. It's just, I don't think everyone's on board yet with those changes. Yeah. So. The speed thing is fascinating to me because I can't tell you how many times I've been on the road and cops have been speeding way faster than the speed limit with nobody to chase, like just yeah. normal. And I'm like, wait a minute, who polices the police on the speed yeah. limit? Yeah. Like, it sounds very hypocritical to me. Yeah, it no, it is. And like, really, who polices the police in general? Like, that's I, what I'm saying. Yeah, I yeah, I see them, you know, around town, you know, the agency that I last worked for, and, and the cops are talking on the cell phone while they're driving. And I don't believe it's a policy violation. I, I believe they could do that. There's an exception for law enforcement, but we don't know if that's a personal phone call or if it's not. And so, you know, I can't use my cell phone while driving or I'll get a ticket. So why are you, you know, be playing Tetris or something? <laughs> like, yeah. How do you know? I mean, it just, I think I that's, yeah, that's what upsets community members, you know, is that like, you're allowed to do this and you're high and mighty and we're, we're over here and we're getting tickets for the same thing. That's what, you know, that's, what's so frustrating is I just feel like, and I've always been like this, like nobody's better than anybody else. Yeah. Like, I don't care what job, I don't care if you're a doctor, I don't care, you know, it doesn't matter to me. I feel like we all should be equal. It doesn't matter that you have a uniform on over here. You're not yeah. better than this person over here. Yeah, most definitely. I think, you know, one of the things when I moved up here about three years ago to Washington state mm -hmm. and I made it one of my missions to uh, know the police chief in our mm -hmm. town as a black police chief, which I think is awesome. And uh, such a nice guy. We've had coffee together, talked about a lot of initiatives. We're doing a community conversation with him. So he's talking to the community. Awesome. He regularly meets with community members. And, and I thought this is a good blueprint for how the community could integrate with the police. Because like when I was having coffee with him, all these people were coming up. Hey, how's it going? Hey, how are you doing? Like everybody knew this person. And they had a positive view of this person. And I go, is this normal? I don't know. Like, I don't like, you know. Yeah. I was like, everybody knows this guy and they're not like upset about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah, that's good. I think that's important because those people, maybe if they see a police officer doing something that they perceive as wrong, they will reach out to him directly, having yeah. that relationship. And most, I mean, I can't speak for everyone, but most police chiefs aren't regularly out in the community. They're right, in their right. office behind the desk. So that's great. I think that's really good. I, I was shocked by, you know, and he was saying that like he will drive through neighborhoods and he'll just get out and start chatting with people. Like if they're in there doing yard work, 
they'll go, oh, you know, hey, how's it going, Jim, or whoever, and they'll just chat. And I thought that's a good move because it because people think the police gets out the car, it's for bad stuff. Mm-hmm. Something's going down. And yeah. he's like, no, no, it doesn't know. It's not always like that. I'm coming out to see you to say hello. Yeah. And be nice. And I think that would go a long way if there was like more olive branches like yeah. that. Definitely. I think if the staffing allows, like that would be amazing yeah. to have, you know, officers really actively involved in the community requiring them maybe to walk a beat for 30 minutes. The problem is it seems like a lot of them are understaffed. And so like a lot of officers are responding call to call and they don't have the time to do that. I think a lot of community members don't realize the amount of work that you get. So I could have um, really any call you have to write a report on. So if it's a big call, like I've had, um, you know, like a stabbing or something, I mean, you're, you're writing for five, six hours. I mean, you're, it's, it's an excessive amount of writing because that's going to, that case is going to go to the DA's office. And so it's sometimes you see a police officer in a car sitting there on the computer and you may just assume they're, you know, not being antisocial or not involved, but they could be writing. Cause I know at my first agency, they didn't want you at the station writing reports. They wanted you in your car writing reports so that you stayed in your beat. So, um, you know, it would just be really nice for the police to, to be involved, get out there and let people know what this job really entails. So people could understand them more. I, I think you're so right, because I think if you asked anybody in the public, they have zero clue what the police actually do. They think they just give people tickets and respond yeah. to like murders and homicides and stuff and like stuff you see on a documentary or something. Yes. Yeah. And, I always said like, everyone loves the fire department. Nobody likes the police. <laughs> and it's right. Just, it's so hard because it's like, it's, it's hard to do like a thankless job, you know, it's, yeah. it's like especially when people don't like you. Like I've been spit in the face for doing nothing. Like oh my it's just, you know, it's hard. It's, it's not easy to go, you know, day after day and to feel that. And, you know, I, I never went out with the intention to like be mean to somebody or, or make their life miserable. Like I just wanted to help people. So it would yeah. be nice for, I know, you know, some agencies have like citizen police academies, but maybe they need to do more where, you know, once a month they have something where the community can, can come out and they talk about a certain aspect of the job so that yeah. they're, you know, people are more familiar. I think it's almost like anything, like you have this idea in your mind about how something is, but unless you go behind the curtain of it and really see, you really don't know. It's true. You know, it's like somebody making an, um, a statement about somebody's marriage or something. And they, you know, from the outside, I mean, you don't know how they're living on a regular basis and what they're thinking. And you're gonna be like, oh, that's odd, you know, but you don't know. I mean, and they're thinking the same thing about you maybe too, you know, it's like- (laughs) Yes, that's so true. I was just thinking that the other day I was, I saw an article in in the news and I was like, you know, this is why we don't judge people because you do not know what goes on behind closed doors. So it's not our place to, to make a judgment call. So, yeah. So that's why I think kind of like with that, it's easy to make emotional, like please the things or to say, Hey, let's have less police or let's just get rid of the police without understanding. Like, okay, this is a chain reaction to this stuff. Like you get rid of the police. Are you, are you ready for what's going to happen potentially? You know, like, I don't think people just think about it very in the moment emotionally and they think oh i don't like the police without understanding anything about the police like nothing yeah they see a couple of they see some bad people some bad police officers and they go got to change it all you know yeah it's 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 more complex than that it is and i think what i think what needs to happen is the bad police officers they need to see accountability so yes doing something wrong there has to be a repercussion and a consequence for it. But I think taking away police is almost like it's the wrong, it's like the wrong logic. It's the like wrong we need, logic. We need more police, I think, so we can get more police instead of just going call the call to call the call and yeah, not being yeah. involved with the community. We can have more police focused on being involved right, in our right. community. And isn't it, like you said, I, I, I agree. Isn't it part of the problem is that 
people are upset that uh, a bad police officer does not have accountability or they just go to some other county and get hired or because of the immunity aspect of it, it's like, well, they did bad, but we really can't do anything to them to create this accountability so that other bad folks won't do this. You got to set a precedent yes. on some level. Yeah. I think there needs just the the transparency has to be there. I know with my last agency, there was an officer who um, allegedly had been allowed to resign because of something that happened while he was working. And I wanted to, in my court case, to take that information to show I was terminated for doing nothing wrong. And he was allowed to resign as a male officer when he broke a law, but they wouldn't release that because that's his personnel record. So I feel like there needs to be more transparency so people can really be trusting of the police. If it feels like it's cover up, cover up, cover up, who's going to trust the police? Right. And, you know, right now it's, it's, it's kind of crazy. Like I didn't know, like, I just, oh, we're having this conversation. We book it for this time and this day. And when, you know, it's like smack dab in the middle of that trial. Yes. You know, the George Floyd, Derek Chauvin thing. And, you know, you got people still worried, like nothing's going to happen to the police. Yeah. Like that's well, a legitimate concern for people. It makes sense that it's a concern though, because where have you seen accountability in other situations? Are there a lot of, uh, are there a lot that we can point out? I mean, I right. feel like there's really not that many, but yeah. Uh, you know, evidence is evidence is evidence. So I feel like that's what you need. And if there's evidence to, to prove guilt, then that's what there has to be. You know, it's to me, it's yeah. I I mean, you know, we can only hope that the right decisions are made based on the evidence presented. So I just, I feel like if you want people in the community to trust the police, we have to to have accountability for the ones that do make mistakes. That's right. That's right. And it's funny because I think on both sides, like the increase in technology, it's <laughs> for the uh, citizen, like how stupid do you have to be to do stuff? Everything's on video. Everybody's videotaping everything <laughs> now. And on the same thing with the police, it's like, dude, everything's being videotaped. Like, you yep. know, so like the, the public or the technology um, surveillance mm-hmm. is really on both sides in many ways hopefully should be more of a deterrent. Like, listen, you really can't get away with anything. Yeah. These days. No, you can't. I told my kids that too. I'm like, listen, everything's on video. And I'm a big, like, Hey, we're all human. We make mistakes. Mine is like being honest about it. Just say what you did, tell the Mm -hmm. truth and we're good, but don't lie about it. And I'm like, there's cameras everywhere. So you need to walk around with that mentality that you do the right thing when no one's watching. Like yes. that's just the mentality I want you to have. The best is like on these shows where like the true crime stuff and they always get people with their cell phone. Like, oh, it pinged at this location. <laughs> like you didn't know your cell phone had GPS. Maybe people don't know and stuff, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's like, yeah. you know, this thing is always telling on you. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was just watching a series on Netflix and I was thinking this, what was it? It was, I think good girls or something. And I was like, I was watching that and I'm like, don't they know that their cell phone is pinging to that location? But maybe they don't know that. Maybe they don't, but I've seen enough shows where I'm like, oh, they're going to ping the location. (laughs) Once they can get probable cause, they're going to ping, they're going to get all the records. They're going to ping that location. Done. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It's kind of, it's kind of crazy. The last thing I think would be interesting is, what do you see like this up? There's just this huge explosion and people wanting to know about true crimes and police. Do you think it's because of like all the coverage of police today or what do you make of it? Um, I don't, you know, the police have been, I feel like, I mean, it's been a crazy year with COVID and election, all of this, but I feel like the police have been just center focus, right? So people want to know more. I feel like, you know, they just want to know more. I don't think some of the shows really portray the police the way that it is in reality. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that people are, you know, I, I've seen both sides. I've seen, I've heard people that are like defund the police and then we have the other side. And, you know, I believe obviously there needs to be changes, but I think the police are important. 
Um, so I think people just want more, you know, want more information and want to yeah. see how, you know, how things are, are going and have gone. And yeah, I can only hope that some changes are implemented. So I think it's a, I think it's a good thing that people want to know more and are diving more into what's happening in police departments. It's kind of like as crazy as kind of like the election was and stuff more people know about and more know more about the inner workings of how elections work now than they ever did before. Like, when did you ever care about like the secretary of state or, you know, the mayors of a town and all the, like, normally you just, you know, you didn't really care about it. You're like, Oh, okay. You know, they did the votes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, now everybody wants to know like, Oh, it, like you're putting the spotlight is going on people who normally had no, recognition in the process of things. Yeah. I think it's good to be well-informed, you know, yeah. to educate yourself about different topics before you make a decision on them and how you feel. So. Yeah, most definitely. Well, yeah. Janelle, thank you so much for your time. It was very enlightening. I learned yeah. a lot Absolutely. and uh, it was just, it's just good talking to you. It was good talking to you too. Thanks for having awesome. me. Well, uh, I look forward to having this come out and uh, people learning. I mean, learning yeah. as much as I did about, you know, behind the curtain of the police force a little bit. I think it's awesome. Absolutely. You have a good rest of your day. Thanks. You too. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the rate and review section. Thanks, everyone. Any workout, any mood, any time. That's what the Peloton Tread is all about. From interval runs that motivate you to go the extra mile, power walks that work up a sweat, rolling hill hikes for you to enjoy, and full body boot camps to hit your goals. Plus thousands of workouts that go beyond the tread. Strength programs, core classes, yoga, Pilates, and even boxing. Everything you need on and off the Peloton Tread. Experience it all for yourself with a 30-day home trial. Learn more at OnePeloton.com. Sure, we have 30 seconds to tell you that drivers who switch to Progressive could save big. But then what? Well, radio has been called theater of the mind. So let's tell a story with sound effects. <laughs> Wow, it's like I was in the story. Almost makes me forget this was supposed to be about saving big with Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates.